This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into the, this week's top stories. The New Hampshire House and Senate wrapped up their legislative sessions, voting on final versions of several high-profile bills. The state will soon expand Medicaid coverage for new mothers, and organizers are working across the state to help with the cost of gender-affirming health care. Joining me now is NHPR's health and equity reporter, Paul Kuno-Booth. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Rick. Uh, Paul, Cost can be a barrier for some trans and non-binary people seeking gender-affirming care here in the state, and you reported on this this week. How are organizers trying to help out? Yeah, so this week I reported on a new initiative called the Queer Care Fund. It's basically trying to make sure people can access gender-affirming health care, in other words, health care related to a gender transition, regardless of their financial situation. It's a collaboration between 603 Equality, which is a, an advocacy group, and the Reproduct. Reproductive Freedom Fund of New Hampshire, which provides financial help for people seeking abortions. Uh, I spoke to Josie Pinto, who leads the Reproductive Freedom Fund. She says they are trying to make sure people in the LGBTQ plus community can meet their basic needs, including health care. A lot of us are young. A lot of us, um, you know, might not have the support of parents or, or family members in doing this. Um, you know, a lot of us work lower wage jobs. So the way it works is they're raising donations and then giving that money directly to a couple of independent health centers that provide gender-affirming care. Those clinics can then use the money to help patients directly as needed. So, Paul, how many people has the fund been able to help out so far? What, What kinds of services are they covering? The fund's organizers say it's already helped more than 50 patients since launching in January. The two clinics they're working with are Equality Health Center in Concord and Lovering Health Center in Greenland. Equality Health Center told me they've used it to pay for gender-affirming hormone therapy, to buy gas cards for patients who have to travel really long distances, um, and also to help cover the cost of some mental health services. It's also worth noting that Planned Parenthood of Northern New England has a similar fund to help people pay for gender-affirming health care at its health centers in New Hampshire. Now, a number of states across the country have passed bans on gender-affirming care for minors. Some Republican lawmakers proposed a ban here in New Hampshire. That failed. Are organizers worried about this coming back next session or, you know, becoming a perennial issue? They are. So as you mentioned, there was this attempt to ban gender-affirming care for people under 18 in New Hampshire. That bill failed uh, to advance, but it, it could come back at some point. And so that context was very much on organizers' minds, they say, as they they launched this queer care fund. Um, another of its creators, Lynn's Jake House of 603 Equality, said they see it as, you know, first and foremost, a moral obligation to help people access medical care, but they also note that, you know, it's harder to do activism, harder to show up for a protest or, or call your representatives when your basic needs aren't met. So there is also that connection to, to advocacy work. Now, Paul, you also reported this week on a package of changes included in the state budget that would help new moms. Uh, supporters are, are dubbing it the momnibus. What, what are some of those changes? One big change is that Medicaid coverage will last a full year after someone gives birth. Right now, it's just 60 days in New Hampshire, but pregnancy-related complications, including mental health conditions, aren't necessarily over at that point. So supporters say this could make a really big difference in improving maternal and child uh, health in that crucial early period. Medicaid will also start covering doulas, lactation services, and donor breast milk. Um, There's also funding in this legislation for family resource centers and expanding mental health services for young kids. So it's really trying to create a more robust network of supports for new mothers and families. Well, I want to ask you about that as new parents face all these pressures, of course, taking on parenthood. And and you you mentioned mental health. What, what, What does the package actually do there? 
Yeah. So um, the extension of Medicaid coverage means that more people can keep accessing mental health and substance use treatment during that first year after pregnancy. And supporters say that's a crucial part of this law. The U.S. has a much higher maternal death rate than other wealthy countries, and mental health conditions are a leading cause of that. One recent study found something like one-fifth of deaths in the first year after childbirth are due to overdoses or suicides. And so, you know, better mental health care access is a really big part of that. Paul, when are these changes set to take effect? So these changes to Medicaid do need to go through a federal approval process, but the state health department tells me they expect them to take effect, uh, take effect sometime in the fall. Uh, what else are you working on right now, Paul? Any stories that uh, you'd like to, to preview for listeners before we let you go? Yeah, so it's a bit nerdy, but one thing I'll be watching as this new budget takes effect is the increase in Medicaid payment rates for mental health centers, home health care workers, and other health care organizations. Um, they've been hit really hard by staffing shortages. This year, they pushed for a big increase in Medicaid funding. They said that was necessary to offer high enough wages that they could actually fill some of these shortages. So I'll be really interested to see what the effect on the workforce is over time. Yeah, that's something we've been talking about for an awful long time. Absolutely. All right. NHPR's Paul Kuno-Booth, health and equity reporter. Paul, thank you. Thank you. You can find more of his work, by the way, at nhpr.org. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. We're recapping this week's news. What questions do you have about what's going on in the state? You can email us. We'd love to hear from you at voices at nhpr.org. Now, joining us about the end of the legislative session is NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers. Hi, Josh. Good morning, Rick. So lawmakers meeting yesterday to vote on the final versions of several high-profile bills. What were some of the highlights from their final sessions, Josh? Well, uh, House and Senate reached agreement or, or approved the agreement on, on a prohibition of the so-called gay panic defense that would ban people accused of murder from claiming that their victim's sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, or expression uh, was a provocation uh, in hopes of reducing uh, s- their sen- sentencing for, for, for murder to manslaughter, essentially. You know, as drafted and as initially passed by the House, this bill was a bit broader and lawmakers may return to this next year. But the vote yesterday was significant. 16 states have already banned the so-called gay panic defense. And there is uh, federal legislation pending, actually sponsored by uh, First District New Hampshire Congressman Chris Pappas. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, in other action at the State House yesterday, lawmakers rejected a proposal to revamp landfill siting rules. This uh, topic has been a pitched fight in Concord for some time. Uh, Casella Waste's plan to build a new landfill in Dalton is a big reason why. Um, efforts to tighten current standards, which right now allow facilities to site landfills uh, within tw- 200 feet of a body of water. Um, you know, they've been going on for some years. Uh, Governor Chris Sununu has been an impediment uh, to stiffer standards. He uh, vetoed a bill to do that uh, last year. Uh, lawmakers in the House yesterday really was a coalition of liberals and conservatives uh, who were bucking leadership in both parties, felt the proposal under consideration uh, would, 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 would end up being tailored to Casella's uh, project in Dalton. And a lawyer representing the company did play a role in drafting the bill. Uh, that's one reason why it failed. Um, other than that, what happened yesterday, I guess the most interesting fight was on a bill to change uh, county commission districts in Stratford County. Uh, Stratford County is an outlier in that it elects county commissioners at large. Uh, Republicans sought and uh, succeeded yesterday in passing a plan 
to create discrete districts tied to geography. Uh, right now, all the three at-large commissioner seats are, are represented by Democrats. This plan would force two Democratic incumbents to run against each other next time, and it would create a likely uh, third Republican district. Uh, that bill cleared the House by a single vote. So that 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 thing was very partisan. Okay, and it it you know I, I wanted to ask you about something that we talked about before in the recap. Governor Chris Nunu being a longtime skeptic skeptic of legalizing recreational yes. marijuana, but he did surprise many uh, earlier this year, saying he would consider supporting the quote right kind of legislation yes. bill. Yeah, and lawmakers approving this proposal yesterday that would create a, a commission to study a state liquor store style model for marijuana sales. Is that moving in the direction that that Sununu could potentially support? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Sununu remains hard to read on this topic. Never really been a proponent of, of legal marijuana has, as you noted at times, uh, expressed interest, but his zeal tends to fade pretty fast. Uh, Sununu has said, and it's it's hard to say that he seems wrong on this, that legalization here is probably inevitable. New Hampshire is the only New England state to not allow recreational marijuana use legally, um, but no state which has legalized it has tried to do so in a pure control state model, which is what he seems to support. Uh, you know, there are reasons you can understand his orientation, um, whether or not, you know, Sununu's back in this plan really means much, you know, may hinge uh, on whether or not he runs and gets elected to, to be governor again. But it's going to be interesting to see what this committee uh, comes up with, assuming Sunu signs a bill. Sure, yeah. And the New Hampshire House was close to evenly split along party lines this session. Josh, meaning attendance was really crucial for for key votes here. How did that play out this session? Well, there were there were plenty of narrow votes, and, and by narrow, I really mean one vote margin uh, on big bills dealing with abortion rights. You know, the county districting bill I just mentioned. Uh, there were some education bills that that hinged on one vote, but you know, if you look at the biggest matter of the year, the state budget. That was bipartisan and, and perhaps based on a recognition that when the House is at near parity, um, it can be risky to push too much. Uh, at times this year, both parties in the New Hampshire House had advantages based on their ability to put members in the seats on session days. Uh, Democrats' ability to indefinitely postpone the Parental Bill of Rights is a big example of that. But um, you know, depending on the day and sometimes depending on the time of day, both parties found themselves in charge or at disadvantage uh, this year. And so that was uh, interesting to watch. It actually did seem, at least from the outside, that there was just much less trauma with this budget process. Well, certainly with the budget process. Yeah. I mean, there's there's always drama in the New Hampshire House, but the budget <laughs> process was historically smooth. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Several candidates vying for the Republican presidential nomination were in the state this week, Josh, and I want to ask you about that. And of course, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. Josh, what did you hear from voters who, who went to see Trump and DeSantis speak this week? Well, from talking to voters, it's clear that there, there remains a good deal of loyalty or, or at a minimum real tolerance when it comes to uh, former President Trump. That was evident even among people who turned out, and a lot of people did turn out to see uh, Ron DeSantis at, at his event in Hollis. Uh, and you know, voters there, even though even those who would say, you know, I'm here because I, I want someone other than Trump to be the nominee, uh, largely said they like Trump and, and could see end up voting for him. So uh, not everyone's in that camp, certainly. But um, I do think that the, 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 the prevalence of such views shows sort of where we are, that there are definitely Republicans who may want to move past Trump. But there are many, many Republicans who you know, at least the ones who are turning out at these early events who are quite comfortable with Trump uh, on a fundamental level and would be comfortable backing him if it came to that. Now, you know, we are very long ways away from voters making their final decisions. And, you know, but what you look at what you hear on the ground and if you look at the polling, uh, 
uh, it, it's evident that Trump, for now, remains in a very strong position in New Hampshire and nationally. Um, you know, the DeSantis Town Hall in Hollis uh, went pretty well for the Florida governor, showed he could take questions from voters without botching it. You know, he didn't take any questions from voters directly when he was here during his first visit. Um, but you got again, a lot of criticism it, for that. Yeah, yeah it, mm-hmm. it, it remains to be seen. Um you know, how this plays out, it is very, very early and there are lots of voters who will vote in the primary who are not tuned in. Yeah. Are you are you watching out for anything right now as, as this primary does heat up in the coming months? What, what specifically are you looking at? Well, if on the Republican side, are there are, are there candidates other than Trump and DeSantis who can generate real interest? Uh, can Ron DeSantis, you know, chip away at, at Donald Trump's lead in the polls? Uh you know, will primary voters grow cooler to Trump as, you know, legal issues is persist? And, and on the Democratic side, um, does this primary heat up? I mean, does a more viable alternative to President Biden than the ones that are running now get in this race? And um, does Joe Biden choose to compete in New Hampshire under the DNC's plan to rejigger the primary calendar? He wouldn't. Um, and if Biden doesn't, doesn't, will, uh, will, you know, a, perhaps a bigger name Democrat than RFK Jr. or Marion Williamson get in the race. All right. We'll be watching for it. And HPR senior political reporter, Josh Rogers. Thanks so much. You're welcome. You can find Josh's work, by the way, and all the stories that we talked about this morning, as always, at NHPR.org. While you're there, we suggest you check out the New Hampshire News Quiz. It's quick, it's fun, and informative. You can sign up to get the quiz emailed to you or check it out at NHPR.org slash quiz. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.